0: And so uh, we are blessed and privileged to have Kevin with us today. So would you give him a warm, come on, not Western, Eastern Ontario District welcome this morning. Our speaker, Kevin Shepherd. Thanks. Awesome. It is great to be with you, and I truly count this as an amazing privilege. Give it up for Andrew, being such a servant-hearted guy. Amazing. All right. I want to jump right in today. I uh, realize uh, we got a, a busy day. We got lots going on. So many things packed in and um, just privileged, honored. I got my, my daughter, Sadie, here with me as well. Great to have her. And if you haven't met Sadie yet, by the end of the day, you probably will. She's like the most social person you'll ever meet and uh, just love Jer and uh, just so feel so welcomed and thankful to be here. Uh, okay. So how many of you have been in an unexpected situation. Like we have things that come up that we just weren't anticipating, weren't planning to happen. So I wanna tell you about something that happened to me a couple years ago. I went to pick my son up from uh, high school for a a dentist appointment and I got there early and I'm sitting there, so I park, I'm sitting facing the, the high school and I'm a little bit away and I see this goose, like one goose, Sitting on the sidewalk right in front of the school, which is kind of weird because you know the high school is in the city and there's all kinds of students and you know cars going everywhere, and it's really busy. And I think that's kind of a weird place for for a goose to. It's just sitting there in the sun, just hanging out. And I'm like, that's kind of a weird place for a. I thought it'd be somewhere more goosey or something. You know, like. (laughs) like in a lake or a field, or, you know, and he, he's, he chose the high school. And it's not just a high school, it's actually a community center as well. And so there's people coming and going all the time and this goose is just sitting there. So I'm sitting there for about five minutes, I'm kind of watching this goose just, and I'm thinking, why, why is this goose there? And then these, these two ladies come walking around the corner pushing strollers and they're, they're, they, they see this goose. And so they kind of slow down, but they, they keep on walking. And I thought what would happen is Mr. Goose would just kind of get up and waddle out of the way and they would you know, walk past him and he'd go back to his spot, but not this goose. No, they start walking towards him. He stands up, stretches his neck out and hisses at them. <laughs> so they, it kind of startles them, they slow down, but they keep on walking because it's a goose, right? And they're like, what's he gonna do? So they keep on walking towards him. And they thought he was gonna just get out of the way. But this goose went from like our fine feathered friend, Mr. Goose basking in the sun to Kung Fu Goose Danielson. This goose started to attack these ladies. And he's running at them and he's trying, and he's not just trying to attack the ladies, he's actually trying to get the babies inside the strollers. So he's like stretching his neck around, trying to peck at the babies. The ladies are screaming, spinning around, trying to get away. So before I know it, I jump out of my vehicle and I start running towards them, right? I'm gonna be the hero in the story, right? And they say these are either fight or flight moments, right? So I'm running towards, I'm hoping the goose is just gonna see my hulking body and just fly away. I go running towards this thing. I get myself in between the goose and the strollers and I say to the ladies, run, run for your lives. So they run, they leave, and now it's just me and Mr. Kung Fu Goose. And we're staring at each other. And I know what's behind his beady little eyes. He's like, I can take this skinny, freckled, four-eyed old man on. And all of a sudden it starts to attack me. So instinctively... I show him how tough my knees are from all the praying, and I give him one of these, <laughs> right in the neck. And it goes, <laughs> and it backs up, and it stares at me and kind of leans at me, and I'm standing there looking at it, and then I go, I run as fast as I can back to my car. <laughs> <laughs> and I get in, and I shut the door. And so a couple minutes later, my son comes out a little while, and so I, I drive down, and I, I pick him up, and he gets in and I go, hey, bud, how was your day? He goes, oh, yeah, good day, normal day. He goes, how was your day? I said, oh, normal day. <laughs> you know, like I had a few meetings, studied for my sermon. I kung fu knee dropped a goose. You know, just kind of a normal Day, how many of you have been in unexpected situations, right? Some things come up. I just not expect I was going to fight a goose that day, right? Sometimes life just goes like that, and it goes in places you didn't expect, and things happen, and, and sometimes they're difficult, and sometimes they're strange. Sometimes they're great, like great unexpected moments, like when the exam was easier than you thought it was going to be. Right? When you get the, the promotion, you get the, like a, a raise at work, You didn't know. when you get the unexpected, I love you just because I love you gift from your spouse, everybody's favorite, when you put your winter coat on and you reach in the inside pocket and you realize you left some money there last year, am I right? Come on, that's the best unexpected moment, right? There's all these unexpected moments. And then there's unexpected moments as a leader where all of a sudden you are expected to be a leader of something and you're like, how did this happen? Like, how did I get here? How did I get into this spot? How did I get to, they expect me to do things and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can live up to the expectations that people have for me in this role that I'm in. Maybe you doubt yourself. You're like, "I, I don't know. If I can, I can do this. And let me just say, if you've ever felt that way, know this, you're not alone. You're in good company in this room. Because so often we can feel like we're the only one who feels like we don't have what it takes or we can't do what we've been called to do or we're expected to do. And I want to tell you something. Everybody in this room has felt that way at some point in time, including myself. And these moments, these weekends can be really important because you get ministry tools and tips and you learn from great leaders in the breakouts and you need to take in as much as you possibly can. And it can be so helpful. It can also be difficult because it can feel intimidating. It can feel like when you look at all these other leaders, it feels like, man, they got it all together. They've got it figured out. They got it going on. And you don't see the questions that they have inside their own mind and the doubts that fill their hearts and minds. You feel like you're the only one. And so it can exacerbate your feelings of the imposter syndrome. Like you're, everybody else is qualified to do this, but, but I'm not. And so if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever doubted yourself, know this, you're in good company. That every leader feels that way at some point in time in their life. Even the disciples. The disciples felt that way. I mean, these are the guys that Jesus literally tapped them on the shoulder. They walked, they heard him talk, they heard him talk about the kingdom, they saw him do these miracles, heal people, like hawk loogies, I think that's what it was last night, right? Hawk loogies into mud and heal a guy's eyes, right? They, they saw him do all these incredible things, face to face, and they still doubt it. Like they heard him predict he was gonna die, And then they saw him raise again from the grave. They saw him physically and they still doubted. And you're like, no, no, Kev, you you got that wrong. Like, Like they doubted before, right? Like when he said he was gonna die, they didn't understand it. When he said he was gonna rise again, they didn't totally get it. They doubted before. But then after he rose again, they didn't doubt, right? Wrong. After they literally physically saw him risen from the dead, they doubted. Let me prove it to you. So let's take us back to resurrection Sunday morning. The women go to the tomb. Unexpectedly, they see an angel. The tomb, the stone has been rolled aside. The angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So they're like, this is incredible. They thought he was gonna be still in the tomb. They thought he was gonna be dead. He's alive. They're running. Another unexpected thing happens. They actually see Jesus. As they went, Jesus met and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So the women are like, oh, this is amazing. They run, they tell the guys, they're like, guys, you you won't believe it. We saw Jesus. He's alive. He did it. So they all go to Galilee. Check this out. The 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Now, some theologians have a hard time with this verse. They think, how could they doubt? I mean, Jesus is right in front of them. How could they see him and still doubt? So what they say is it wasn't the disciples who doubted, it was other people who were there that doubted that the the, the disciples and everybody there, they're waking everybody up. They're like, he's alive, he's alive. They're running through the streets. Other people wanted to know what the commotion was. They all come to the mountain as well. And it's the other people who were there that doubted, not the disciples. And that's possible. Or the Bible says Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he rose again. It's possible it was the other people who were there that doubted. But let's also consider that it's possible that it's the disciples who doubted. I mean, let's think about who's there. We got 11 disciples, not 12, right? So Judas, he's out of the picture. We got Peter who's there. He denied Jesus just a few days ago, right? He's like, I'm out, don't know him. We got Thomas who's known as doubting Thomas. Isn't it possible that they doubt it? Now look when I say they doubted, it doesn't mean they didn't believe. Notice, they're worshiping him. They know who it is. They believe in him, and yet they're still doubting. You're like, how does that work? I think it's kind of like how you and I hedge a little sometimes, where we hear something that just sounds too good to be true. We're like, how is this even possible? How is this even happening? I don't totally get it. In most languages, actually, the word for doubt is an idiom that means to think only perhaps or to think two thoughts. They're like, this is incredible. This is Jesus. They're worshiping him. They believe. And they're doubting. And I think this is a a really good picture of how most of us feel and live that we worship God, we believe he's God, we believe he's the creator, we believe Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he could do. He died on the cross, he rose again. We worship him, we declare, it. we sing it, we believe it, and we doubt our place in the story. Like we believe he is who he said he is, we just have a hard time believing that we can be who he said we can be. We believe in Jesus, we just have a hard time believing that he believes in us. And so in the midst of their worship and their doubt, Jesus speaks. And he clarifies that he believes in them. Check it out. Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and, everybody say, make. Make "Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And so Jesus responds to them in the midst of their worship and their doubt, and so he gives them a clear mission of his belief in them. And to us today, he responds to us in the midst of our worship and our doubt, and he gives us a clear mission about how he believes in us. He didn't come and say, I'm back, guys. I'm back, I'm gonna do it all. He said, I'm back, and I'm gonna empower you to do it. This is God's plan for your life, period. Like here's the, I know in this room, there's so many of you, you're wondering what is God's will for my life? What is God's plan? What does God want me to do with my life? Like where am, what career am I gonna have? Who am I gonna marry? What job should I take? What city should I live in? You're just wondering, and I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you right now, 95% of God's will for your life right now. You're gonna be glad you came today. I'm gonna tell you 95% of God's will for your life. Here it is. God's call, be a disciple leader. And wasn't that such a good word from Pastor Jerry? Come on, give it up from Pastor Jerry last night. That's what he spoke. Come on, you can do better than that. He's your boy. I'm not just saying that. You gotta download that. I don't know if that was recorded. You gotta download that and put it on repeat. You got to remind yourself of that because we'll forget. You got to remind yourself, listen to it every quarter or something. Get that in you. That's God's call for your life. Be a discipled leader. And God's plan for your life is this. disciple leaders make discipled leaders. That's it. That's 95% of God's will for your life. The rest of it, who you marry, where you work, all that, that's like 5%. 95% is you are a discipled leader who makes disciple leaders. And the reason why I say it that way is because we can come to leadership events and lots of people talk about leadership, but you can become a leader without being a disciple. But you can't become a disciple without becoming a leader because every disciple influences other people to be disciples. So that's why I say discipled leader. This is God's will for your life. This is God's plan. Somebody needs to tell Drake. God's plan is not stepping over your critics and becoming famous. God's plan is that you make disciples. Jesus is king, right, Kanye? I mean, this is the plan. This is it. During the 40 days after the crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways he was actually alive. Why did he have to keep proving it? Because they were doubting. They're like you and me. And he's proven them, no, guys, I'm still alive. Watch, I'm gonna eat this fish. I'm gonna show you I'm alive. And he talks to them about the kingdom of God. This is like the 40-day internship program after the three-year discipleship program. And he's talking to them about the kingdom. And that means he's talking about the kingdom plan. The kingdom plan is, you guys are gonna do this. And they're like, Jesus, that just, that's not a good plan. Like, we know us... That's wrong plan, bad plan. You need to do the kingdom thing. We're gonna cheer you on. Wrong plan to have us do it. And that's how we feel. We're like, I don't know God well enough myself to help someone else know God, and so we doubt God's plan. We say, I don't know how to communicate the gospel clearly, the principles of the kingdom, that's for the professionals. That's for the pastors. That's for the people who've been taught how to spoke real good. That's for those people, not for me. I don't know all the answers. I'm afraid when somebody asks me a question, I don't know the answer. I'm gonna mess it up. And we doubt God's plan. But I wanna tell you, God's plan is for disciples to make Disciples, that's his plan for your life. And I wanna tell you something, I think we gotta remember who these guys were. Like we said, we got you know Peter who denied Jesus, we got Thomas who's a skeptic, we got James and John who were nicknamed the sons of thunder, right? They're gonna offend people. How are these offensive guys gonna make disciples, right? We got Matthew, who's a tax collector. We don't understand. The most loathsome hate in that culture towards tax. How's he going to mentor anybody? These other guys are fishermen. We t- talked about it last night. They're fish. They don't, they don't know. In fact, this is what the, the religious smart people thought. They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scripture. They were Bible dunces. They didn't know what was going on in scripture. They knew Jesus though, but they didn't know what was going on in scripture. And Jesus is like, nope, you're my plan. You're my plan. Even though you don't have the confidence, you're my plan. And we doubt God's plan. We're like, God, I, Man, I don't know. There's other people better than me. There's other people more qualified than me. There's other people that are smarter than me that God figured out. And so we doubt ourselves. And I want to tell you, that's a good thing. It's good that you doubt yourself. You say, hold on a second. I shouldn't be a person of doubt. I should be a person of faith, not a person of doubt. Ah, you need to be a person of faith in God, not in yourself. And I wanna correct some messaging for a bit in our culture for a moment. I wanna lean into something. There is way too much conversation in our world right now about believing in yourself. Way too much messaging saying, you need to be more confident. In your, and how many of you, by show of hands in this room, how many of you have ever heard somebody say something like this? Just follow your heart. Now put your hand up high if you've heard that. Just follow, just follow your heart. Okay, next time somebody says that to you, here's your response, you ready? Dumb. Right, everybody practice. Dumb. Follow your heart, dumb. Anybody says follow your heart gave you the dumbest advice ever. You wanna know why? Look at this, Jeremiah 17. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick, who can understand it? Your heart, my heart, your grandmother's heart, Your friend's heart, your spouse's heart. Well, I knew that one. You know, everybody's heart. Desperately sick. Your baby's heart. You say, oh, no, not my little innocent baby. No, they're so pure. Just give it a couple years. You'll find out. They're going to grow up, and they're going to like cats. I mean, desperately sick, right? They're going to cheer for the Montreal Canadiens. Like, wicked awful, sick, right? They're going to take your AirPods and flush them down the toilet just to watch them swirl, right? They're sick. And when he says, who can understand it? He's not saying some people sometime can figure it out. That's a rhetorical question. Nobody can get it. You can't get smart enough for this to go away. You can't know enough scripture for this to go away. You can't pray enough to figure it out. Your heart, my heart, everybody's heart, desperately deceitful and sick, and will never figure it out. So, whoever tells you, follow your heart, gave you the dumbest advice ever. Everybody say, follow your heart. heart. Dumb. Dumb. Come on, we got to have more energy in that. Follow Follow your heart. Dumb dumbest advice ever, right? Now, I'm going to push this a little further. How many, how many here are like 18 years of age and under? Just put your hand up, 18 years of age. All right, we got somebody happy about their 18 years of age. Okay. All right, let me tell you, let me, how many of you have heard somebody who, who's well-meaning and, uh, you know, maybe like a teacher or you've heard a celebrity say something like this, or maybe even your parents, they've said something to you like this, you can be anything that you want to be. How many have heard that? Right? If you believe in yourself, and you work hard enough, and you find something you're passionate about, and you just, you, you can be anything you want to be. I got to love you enough to tell you, no, you can't. Like somebody's got to love you. You cannot be anything that you want to be. No matter how much I want to be a horse jockey, I'm too tall. I can't be a horse. You can't be anything that you want to be. And I'm not trying to be a dream crusher, and I'm not saying we shouldn't dream and imagine or work hard. We're going to talk about that in another session, okay? I believe we need to dream and believe that. What I'm saying is you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be everything God wants you to be. Come on, somebody's got to praise God for that because that's the truth right now. You can't, the reason I talked about this is because if you listen to that message, you can be anything you want to be, it sets you up with the wrong motives and you will live drastically below God's purpose and God's plan and the potential in your life because you'll start chasing things that you want and whatever you want is below what God wants. When you start chasing your own motives, your own desires, your own things, you make life about you. And I gotta tell you, life is not about you. You say, of course it is. Everybody tells me life's about me. Like have it your way, get what you want, order what you want and get it shipped within two days. I gotta tell you, by the way, your life is not Amazon Prime. It's gonna take more than two days to get you to where God wants you to be. And I appreciated that word You know, it takes time, it takes sacrifice and work. This is not about you, your life. Look at this verse, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. You don't belong to you. Life ain't about you, it's not about your choices and your wants and your desires and what you're trying to accomplish for yourself. This is about God and don't see this as restrictive like God bought you so you gotta do. No, see this as empowering and freeing. God bought you with a high, high price because he values you, he believes in you. He's handed you the keys to the kingdom. He loves you and so he's freed you from the nonsense of this culture. He's freed you from the negative, selfish, egotistical desires of this culture. You can live free from that. You don't have to be gripped by the selfishness that pervades our culture. You can be gripped by the generosity of an almighty God who loves you so much he gave his son to die for you so that you can live and have everlasting life. And this applies to people who are over 18 as well, by the way. But I just think you are like inundated with this all the time. And we got to push against it. So follow your heart. Follow God's heart smart. Say, follow your heart. Follow God's heart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but how do we do this? If, if we're not, if we can't trust our own heart, then how are other people gonna trust us to disciple them? How do we do this? Well, check out this really important verse. Paul says, "'No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him.'" Now, every time, just about every time I've heard this verse preached, it's been preached wrong. Because the way that this verse is preached is preached, man, we can't imagine all the great things God's going to do in the future. That's not what Paul means by this verse. And you say, well, that sure sounds like it. I I believe that that's true, okay? We're gonna talk about that again in another session that God can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. We need to dream about the good things God's gonna do in the future. That's just not what Paul's saying in this verse. This is a quote from Isaiah 64. And Isaiah, before Jesus, is saying, man, we can't imagine the things that God's gonna do. And you, can't, you haven't seen it, you haven't even heard about it. It's gonna be amazing what God's going to do. And Paul is quoting Isaiah saying, look, Isaiah didn't get it because he lived on that side of Jesus, on that side of the Spirit of God. But look at what Paul continues to say in this next verse verse, but it was to us, God revealed these things by his spirit for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Paul's not talking about what you don't know. He's talking about what you do. He's not talking about what's to come, but what already has. He says, we get it. We've seen the great secrets of God. It was that Jesus Christ was going to come live a perfect life, die on the cross, rise again, and then he was going to send the spirit of God to reveal to you the truth so you know God's deep secrets. Like that's better than knowing how they get the caramel inside the caramel bar. That's better than... Like knowing who is going to win the World Series before they win it—it's better than knowing how Jared keeps his hair so perfect. I don't—I'm jealous. I don't know how he does it. It's better than any other secret you can imagine. This is God's deep secrets. You have the spirit of God. That's God's plan. That's God's plan that the way we overcome the selfishness of our own heart is listening to the Spirit of God. The way that we live out God's purpose for our life is, is, is listening to the Spirit of God. Paul goes on and says, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. I wanna talk about this word to know for a second. This is the word "idomen." This this is a word that means to know by experience. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back for a moment. I just wanna talk about the, the, the difference between knowing and knowing by experience. Because how many know there are things that you can know about, you can know in your head that God's plan is that disciples make disciples? You can know that you have God's Spirit by because you're told that, but then you can know by experience. So uh, let me let me illustrate it this way. So my wife loves roller coasters, like loves roller coasters. Me, not so much. Like I kind of like my feet on the ground, and uh, you know I'm I'm not not into it so much. But because she loves it, we'll go to like amusement parks and stuff, right? So one one time. Uh, for our anniversary, we went to uh, Cedar Point Amusement Park in, in Ohio. And um, I think that's where it was. And so I-, I wanted to know what I was getting myself into. So I looked up online all the different rides that they've got. So I studied about them. I wanted to know how big they were, how fast they were, all the things that they did. And what I discovered is they got this ride there called Millennium Force. How many have heard of Millennium Force before? You've been to Canada's Wonderland. You've been to Leviathan, right? Leviathan's like 305 feet tall. and goes 148 kilometers an hour. Okay, Millennium Force is bigger and faster, okay? So I was like, whoa, I, that, she's gonna wanna go on that one. So I was bracing myself, right? I knew things about it, where the twists and turns were and everything. I was prepping myself. So sure enough, we get there. And the first thing she wants to do she wants to go on Millennium Force. Like, right first thing in the morning, that's what she wants to do. I'm like, okay, babe, so let's go. So we go, we get there, we get on this thing. And before I tell you what I'm about to tell you, in my defense, I wasn't feeling great that day. <laughs> I, had, I didn't sleep well the night before, my neck was kinda sore, you know, like so. So we get on this thing, and normal roller coasters kinda go slowly, like when they start, right, up the hill. Not, not this one, no. No, this one goes fast. Like it speeds up at the beginning and then it speeds up again up the hill. And before you get to the top, it speeds up again. So you like go over that hill, not like just tip over. You go. <laughs> that's how, you go over the top of this thing and we start flying down this, this hill, okay? So I'm like, whoa, this is fast. And I'm just holding on, and I look over at my wife, and she's going, yeah! And I'm like, yeah! You know, whew, here we're going even faster. And then I'm like, I'm looking, and I'm like, wow, we're going so fast. It's like feeling a little dark out here. Like, I can't (laughs) believe how fast it's, and I look over at my wife, yeah! Get down to the bottom, all of a sudden my vision starts to kind of get a little narrow. And then by the bottom, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. So then we keep going, and somehow we like go up and go around this corner, and I kind of come back too. And I'm just starting to get my bearings, and I look over, and my wife's going, I'm like, babes, I think I'm. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I barely made it to the end of the ride, I promise you. But I got up. Now, how many know there is a difference between knowing about Millennium Force and knowing Millennium Force by experience? And there's a difference between knowing that you have the Spirit of God in you and knowing the Spirit of God by experience. And here's what's gotta happen. You and I gotta take a step. The only way for me to know that by experience, I had to take a step and get on the ride. And you can know that you're called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, or you can know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ by experience. And I wanna tell you something, out of everything you're gonna hear today, and you're gonna get great tools and great tips, all kinds of stuff, out of everything you're gonna hear, I'm gonna tell you the best way to learn how to become a disciple maker. You wanna know the best way? Start being a disciple maker. I know that sounds simple and crazy, but the best way is to learn is by doing. It's by starting and you're gonna mess up and you're gonna make mistakes and you're not gonna get it right every time. But as you take that step to get on the adventure and there's gonna be ups and there's gonna be downs and sometimes you're gonna feel like you're blacking out because you don't understand what's going on and some people are gonna have a lot of fun doing it and you're gonna have a hard time maybe, but I'm telling you something, there's no adventure like it. There's nothing more important than it because it's God's plan for your life. And so we got to take this step to hear what God's saying. We got to take this step to listen to God's voice for our lives. And as you do that, I believe that the spirit of God will empower you. Would everyone stand for a moment? Because I want to do something practical to kind of respond today. And I know we don't don't have a lot of time, but I think this is important. So we're going to take our time to do this. Because because here's one of the challenges I find we have so often. In, In hearing what, the Spirit of God is saying to you. And, I, and I'm gonna challenge you in a moment to take a step. So just be prepared to do that. I'm gonna invite everybody that is willing to become a disciple maker to make disciple leaders. And I'm gonna have you take a physical step as a symbol of the step that you're gonna take after you leave this week, weekend to become a discipler of other people. And we're gonna do that in a moment. But here's what we're, here's what I think God was talking to me about doing today is this, that when you step out to come, we're gonna sing that song, Build My Life. And when you step out to come forward and to hear from God, I just wanna talk about hearing from God, hearing from the Spirit of God. I think we make this way too complicated. And here's what I've noticed that happened in my own life, that I was so often looking for the spectacular voice of God, I was missing the supernatural voice of God. I was waiting for the go to Nineveh, Kevin. And I think God speaks like that sometimes, but they're like miracles. They're a bit rare. Do you know what God does most of the time for most of us? He speaks to us in the sound of our own thoughts. It sounds like you. You say, well, how do I sort out then what's God and what's me? Well, that's why we have God's word to let us know who God is and what he would say. He'll never say anything contrary to who he is in his word. But here's, here, I'm gonna set up something to help you with this. Here's, here's the thing, any good thought I've ever had, here's the conclusion I've come to, any good thing I've ever done, any good thought I've ever had is all God. It's not me, it's all Him. The Bible says every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, every good thing, it's all Him. I can't take any credit for it. And in our narcissistic society, whenever we do something good, we're like, yeah, that was pretty good, right? All him, all him, all him. And all the rest of it, all that dumb stuff, that's all me. I own all of that. And so just be open to let God speak to you. And it might sound like your own thoughts, a really good thing to do. And as we step out, we're gonna step out as soon as they start to sing, okay? And I want you to listen to God. I want you to pray and say, God, would you put in my heart and my mind the person you want me to reach out to and begin discipling? God, would you show me, would you give me creative insight and understanding? Show me your deep secrets for my community. Show me my deep se- your deep secrets to, to, to care for and reach all the students in our area. God, help me see, help me hear your voice. And I believe that as we do this, we're just gonna take a few minutes to do it. As you do, God, we're gonna, God's gonna download things to you about how you can become a disciple leader who makes discipled leaders. Would you just begin to come as they sing?